0: The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at BearCreekChurch.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. I'd like you to open your Bibles to First Peter and chapter two. First Peter and chapter two. <laughs> you know, I want to take just a moment and acknowledge a few people. Over the last couple of weeks, we, uh, normally we would have Ethan and, and Devin in the back running sound, but, but they've been out of town. And so, uh, Daniel and Zane have, have stepped up to help out. So thank you to them. You know, Tim is, oh, I got more. Tim is, is out of town as well. And so, uh, Garrison is here helping with the, with the streaming option. I'm gonna keep going. Some of the people that normally help with our with the meals have been out of town, and so there's there's different people that have stepped up to help with that, and and there was even a new member of the worship team uh, this morning. You may not have, have noticed, but uh, Jake was was borrowing Rebecca's new guitar, so we'll maybe do an introduction of that in the future, but. Uh but this is—it's—we uh, we joke, but it's—it's it's wonderful. And thank you to all of you who who do step up, and and you know we can get into this routine of of certain people do these certain tasks or these roles, but uh, sometimes those that can't happen, and, and people step up and step in to fill. And so thank you for those that that have been helping. So as a reminder, if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to grab one off the back table. As you have probably noticed, we're we're staying in the Book of First Peter. We're just working our way through it. I don't know about you, but as we've been studying this book, it, it feels like we're getting to know Peter as a person just a, a little bit better. So as as Pastor Brian was in John and now in Acts, and as Peter comes up in those texts, he stands out just a little bit more in my mind. Kind of like an old friend. Well, before we look at our text this morning, would you please pray with me? Father God, oh, we thank you for this time. Thank you this for this time that we had to gather together. Thank you for the time in worship. Thank you for the opportunity to join together in communion. Thank you for this time to greet and encourage one another to enjoy lunch together later. And thank you for this time to be in your word. Lord, we have said in many different ways, we have sung that you are our rock, that you are holy, that we want to be holy, pure, faithful, righteous, not conformed to this world, but transformed, renewed. If there is any in this room, Lord, that doesn't want that, I pray that by the time we are done, you will have landed on them with a sweet powerful longing like they have never had before. So, Lord, now, as I pray, as that longing is increased, you would satisfy it because your word has that power. Keep me faithful to the word. Sanctify us in the truth. Jesus said your word is true, so turn longings into reality. Now, by your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I first was looking at the passage that we're going to discuss this morning, I I had in my mind where I wanted to go with things, and then as I actually sat down and started writing it out, well, it ended up a little different, and we're going to trust the Lord in that. Our text this morning, we're going to focus on verses 4 through 8 of chapter 2. But for context, I think it would be helpful if we read verses 1 through 8. As always, I encourage you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you, but if you can't, then the text will be on the screen. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? God's Word says, is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. Well, I'd like to spend just a, just a minute looking at how these particular verses fit within 1 Peter. Specifically what we've already covered so maybe it's just a bit of review. God's elect are exiles or strangers in the world. God the Father chose us. Jesus redeemed us from our futile ways. The Spirit sanctified us. We have an inheritance in heaven safeguarded by God himself. By faith we receive God's salvation and our Holy Father summons us to stop conforming to the passions of our former ignorance. Instead, we should be holy as God is holy. Holiness entails a new way of life, especially for Gentiles once so far from God and now His people. In 1 Peter 1, through 1-21, Peter establishes the, the theological foundation for the entire epistle. It says that God is holy, and he's made his elect holy. His chosen us. Those who believe, believe because he has chosen. You believe because of the work that God has done in your heart, causing you to believe. You were dead, and God made you alive. He has made his elect holy, judicially, by covering their sins with the blood of Christ, He also makes the church holy morally by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. When Peter describes holiness, Christian community is prominent. Once we have purified ourselves by our obedience to the truth, to the gospel, we have a sincere love for our brothers and sisters, and therefore love one another deeply and from the heart. Our passage this morning describes the basis for Christian community. Last time I was up here, we discussed verses one through three. One of the things we discussed was what it says in verse three: "If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good." So verse flo- verse four flows out of that as you come to Him. There's a transition from verses one to three, and then four through eight. In verses one through three. We see the imagery of a newborn. We think of infants' birth. There's imagery of of milk growing up, growing up in the Word. Then in four through eight, we see things like coming to a living stone. We are living stones, building up, building a house. So it leads to this transition. You are tasting that He is good. You are in His Word, so you come to Him. As you drink milk, as you go to his word, as you come to him. Notice it does not say when you come, but as you come to him. This coming to Christ includes initial repentance and faith, but the Greek tense implies a continual drawing near as well. We continue to come to him. We continue to drink the milk of his word. So those longing for him... Come to Him. Those who have tasted the kindness of the Lord, in verse 3, those who have tasted that the Lord is good and now long for Him the way a baby longs for milk, they now, in verse 4, come to Him. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Above all, the church is Christ's community. Peter begins, you come to him. Apart from Jesus, there are religious or moral communities, but the church is the one community centered on Jesus, rather than morality or spirituality. This is what makes church so precious. This is not like hanging out with the people on your team in sports. This is not like gathering together for, for rotary. This is not like going to the country club. This is a time where sinners, saved by grace, come together, we sing songs to the Lord. We pray together, sometimes led by an elder, sometimes individually. We dine at the Lord's table together. We open God's word together. There's a focus on Jesus. It's not present in these other gatherings. Now, for some of you some of you younger people in the room, listen for just a minute. I want to talk to you. Let, let's be honest. You come because your parents make you. You don't have much of a choice. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing for you. You can participate in this, receive some of, some of the benefits of being in community. And we pray that as you grow older... That you will resist the temptations of the world and will stay in community. No longer because you have to, but because you need this time as much as the rest of us need this time. And listen, again, you, you younger people in the room, if this is you, I get it. I grew up going to church. It was a, it was a smaller church. We were bringing in chairs on Christmas because we might hit 80 people. I was there, but I didn't always appreciate it. I took it for granted. But then when I got older and out of high school, I found that I actually I wanted to go to church. I wanted to be around God's people. I wanted to grow in my faith. Now I can look back and I remember things that were taught in my church growing up, and I'm thankful that my parents made sure that I was there every week. One more thing to you. you know, Pastor Brian says oftentimes that, that he likes questions. And please know that both Pastor Brian and myself also, we would, we would love to get questions from you too. That's not just for the adults in the room. Well, that applies to you as well. You're, you're a part of this. All right, let's 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 keep going in our text. This is good. I, I love this. So Jesus is described here as a, As a living stone. So Peter wants to draw his readers' minds to the temple of God. The temple is the place where God has promised to meet his people. There, the priests represented God to the people and the people to God, and together, priests and people represented God's rule to the world. There, repentant Israelites would bring their sacrifices and find atonement for their sin at the temple. But then God exiled Israel from the land because they disobeyed. So as a result, and and this is important as it relates to our text this morning, as a result, as, as exiles, they had no access to the temple. It was a crushing blow. They were they were cut off. But their exile was not to be forever. The prophets had announced that God would would one day restore His people, reestablish Jerusalem, and rebuild the temple. Looking ahead in our text for just a minute, and and looking at verse 6, this verse is quoting Isaiah 28. And I love this, because in verses 1-3, through Peter is telling us to desire the milk, the milk of the word, and taste the goodness of God in His word. And he then takes us to God's word by quoting the Old Testament. So again, verse 6 is quoting Isaiah 28, 16, which says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. The temple would be rebuilt, and rebuilt to to be even grander than before. So what is the temple that would be Rebuilt. Well, Jesus answers this when he says that he was the temple. We see this in John chapter 2 where it says, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. With Jesus, everything changed. Jesus is the temple. The, The building had become personal. He is now the place where God meets with his people. He is now the place where God's rule is displayed to the world. And he is now the place where atonement is made available. So Peter says Jesus fulfills Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. He is the living stone. And remember, Peter was originally named Simon, but Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means rock. But here, our text, Peter uses the word translated stone. I think Peter, knowing what Jesus said and what we read in Matthew 16, where it says, Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There seems to be some intentionality here. Peter is not saying that he is the cornerstone, but Jesus is. So he uses a different word to point us to Jesus. Jesus is the stone that the people despise. We have come to a living stone that other people flee from. They have rejected him. Much of our current culture has rejected him. But the stone, in the language of Peter, in the sight of God, is chosen and precious. The world despises, but to the Father, he is precious. So Jesus is the temple in one sense, but he is also the foundation for the temple. Or more specifically, Jesus is the foundation stone that God has has laid in Zion. He is God's chosen instrument through whom the restoration of his people and the rebuilding of the new temple made of living stones, that is, believers, will take place. The imagery of a stone or cornerstone evokes a specific scene. Before erecting a building, stonemasons search piles of rocks for boulders with the size and shape to become foundation stones, cornerstones, capstones, The stability of the building is based on the cornerstone. If it is off, the building will not stand. But Jesus depicts them as discarding one stone after another. They finally see the the perfect stone, which represents the Messiah. But when they examine it, they reject it. So Israel's leaders searched for their Messiah. But when they found him, they judged him a false prophet and killed him. So now, we are like living stones, our text says. The result of this coming to him, that we are shaped into living stones for use in a spiritual building, verse 4, excuse me, verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up. Like we talked about the last time, when we lack desire to be in God's word, we respond by desiring his word. He will give us the desire. We don't don't wait for it. We go to his word, desiring, knowing that our desire will increase and we will grow and we are being built up. Contact with the living stone, Jesus, makes us alive and fits us for our place in his architectural plan. This is what God is doing in you. You are like living stones. In Scripture, we see that the church is is more than just brick and mortar. It is more than just a building. The church is made up of people, of believers. We in this room, we gather together on Sunday morning. We are gathering as the church. You are like a living stone, so you have a role to play. You are not passive, but you are here like a living stone, helping to make up the church. Now, Peter uses a metaphor rarely applied To the church. The church is described in a variety of ways in scripture. Perhaps most frequently is likened to a body. The church is the body of Christ. It is also called the people of God. In every one of those metaphors, the church is made up of people. The church is comprised of called out ones. The church is the communion of saints, not a building. Now, all of a sudden, Peter gives a metaphor of the church as a building. But this building is made up not of brick and mortar, but of living stones, of people. We are the church, because the church is made up of stones that are alive. Peter refers to Jesus as being chosen and precious, highly valued or honored. When we come to this living stone, we become living stones incorporated into God's spiritual house, His church. We are the stones. The living stones. Each believer is part of this church. Just as each stone is part of a building. The church, the the new temple, it's still under construction. Every day new stones are added. Sometimes by, by new people walking through the door. Sometimes because someone sitting out there is not a believer and now they believe. Sometimes by things like having babies. Which is a fun way to grow the church. So... If this applies to you, keep it up. No pressure. We are built into a spiritual house, it says in verse 5. When we come to the living stone and are shaped into living stones ourselves, we are built into a spiritual house. Christ is the builder here. It's it's spiritual because it houses the Holy Spirit. In in 1 Corinthians 3.16 it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And that's a reference to the local church, not to individuals in this context. What we see so far is that God lays this stone Jesus Christ in Zion, that is in Jerusalem, and men reject it, crucify him. But God has chosen this stone and regards him as infinitely precious, and raises him from the dead, and makes him an ever-living stone, and gives him the place of highest honor at the head of the corner. All of this to the end, that Christ might gather a people who would themselves be alive like him, and would make a temple, a church, An eternal dwelling place for the Spirit of God. Those who come to Jesus by faith, again, verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the temple served as God's house, the place of God's presence. So by calling Christians part of a spiritual house, Peter means that they and us, the church, are God's temple, where his spirit dwells. All Christians are individually indwelled by the spirit of God. We see this in Romans 8, where it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And therefore our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. But the repeated emphasis of the New Testament is that Christians are corporately the temple of God, the place where God's glory dwells in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And First Peter, the apostle, calls his church as a chosen people, the people of God. Peter assumes that to come to Christ is to come into this community. According to Peter, all that we are rests on all that Jesus is. If we come to Christ, the living stone, we become living stones Jesus is the cornerstone and God builds us into a spiritual house that rests on him and because Jesus is the chosen one we are God's chosen ones so to say this maybe a little differently when we come to Jesus not the city of Jerusalem we come to the living stone when we come to Jesus not to Judaism we come into God's kingdom. Or when we come to Jesus, not to not the ornate temple, we become God's spiritual house and holy priesthood. Some speak of the elect of God as individuals, but Scripture typically calls the church the elect, or chosen of God. Isaiah says that the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, is the chosen one, in whom and by whom all others are chosen. At the transfiguration, the climactic revelation of Jesus' glory, the the Father declares, This is my Son, my Chosen One. A truth that Israel's rulers mocked at the crucifixion. In 1 Peter 2, the descriptions of Jesus are singular, and the descriptions of his people are plural. From this we see that following Jesus entails joining his community, the church the christian who professes to follow jesus but is is too good too busy or too self-sufficient for for the church is a walking contradiction in the old covenant god set his people apart from the nations and in the new covenant he sets us apart as we live among the nations but all of scripture testifies that believers cannot be godly or fruitful without joining God's family and realizing some form of separation from the world. Yes, there are, there may be times that we can't be here in person. We know that sometimes you or someone in your home may be ill, and you may be out of town, or you, you tried but just couldn't get the family out the door. Those happen. But we want to be here. You would be if you could. We may have to fight with our schedule to make sure that we can be at church on Sunday. Whether you are younger or older, less mature in your faith or more mature in your faith, you recognize that the church is God's design, and so you come and you worship. We are a holy priesthood, it says in verse 5. The greatness of the reality forces the imagery to to break down. Not only are we living stones being built into a spiritual house for God's habitation, we are also a holy priesthood. In other words, we are not merely the, the passive building where God dwells. We are also the active participants in worship. And not just participants, but a special kind of participant. A priest. All of you. This is the great teaching about the priesthood of all believers. We all, lay people and vocational elders, are the holy priesthood of this new spiritual house. And our privilege now as priests is to draw near to God with spiritual sacrifices. The priests brought the sacrifices into the tabernacle in the Old Testament. But now the tabernacle is replaced by the Christian church. The atoning altar is replaced by Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And the priests are replaced by you, those who believe in Christ. You can go directly to God in prayer. You don't need to go through an earthly priest. Jesus is now our high priest. We are not just a spiritual house, we are a priesthood. On this point, R.C. Sproul said, This passage was very dear to Martin Luther. When he spoke about the priesthood of all believers, he was not saying that there is no distinction in the church between clergy and laity. The New Testament lays the foundation for those distinctions. Luther was saying that the priesthood of the New Testament is given to the whole Christian community. Yes, there is a structure and an order to the local church, and that doesn't change. But you are still an active and vital member of the church, You're not just a spectator. In the Old Testament, the basic function of the priest was to offer up sacrifices to God in keeping with the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant. The sacrifices that the priest offered were physical sacrifices, animals and grain offerings. But we are a different kind of priesthood, a spiritual priesthood in which each believer is called to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. At the very heart of worship is the concept of the offering of sacrifices. This priesthood of all believers also changes our understanding of ordinary life in the church. Since every believer is a priest before God, united to the chief priest, Jesus, each believer's worship is significant. His spiritual sacrifices are offered to God through Christ. The goal of all of this is that spiritual sacrifices would be offered which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God's aim is that we offer Him spiritual sacrifices. And we can only do that through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the living stone. Everything hangs on our coming to the living stone. If we don't come to Jesus, the living stone, then we don't have life. We are not built into a spiritual house. We do not become a holy priesthood, and we will not offer spiritual sacrifices. It all hangs on Jesus and connecting with Jesus, coming to Jesus. That's why Peter ends verse 5 with the words, "...who offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." Jesus is infinitely precious. This should cause us to love Jesus with all our hearts. He is the only way to God. He is the only way to be alive forever. He is the only way to be a dwelling for God. He is the only way we can do anything acceptable to God. This is why verse 7 says that he is precious. Costly to us who believe. Infinitely precious. There's no greater value in the universe than Jesus. He means more to us than anything or anybody. Just think of all the people around the world who acknowledge that there is a God. Nature declares His glory and their consciences tell them it it must be so. But they don't know how to do anything fully acceptable to this God because they don't know Jesus. They try rituals and disciplines and sacrifices and vows and relics and virtues, but all in vain. Because God says at the end of verse 5, the sacrifices that are acceptable to him are acceptable through Jesus Christ. Not through human effort or human merit or human achievement, but through Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said in Romans fifteen eighteen, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. The preciousness of Christ to our hearts is this. Through Him we know God and come to God and experience the presence of God and offer acceptable sacrifices to God. Without Him, all is distance and darkness and wrath. Christ is precious. Very, very precious. So what are these spiritual sacrifices that we see in verse 5? What are these spiritual sacrifices that we offer to God through Jesus Christ? Based on this text, it, it feels like this is important. So we should have some idea what Peter is talking about. I think we can answer this by letting Scripture answer for us. What does... Scripture describe as acceptable to God. In Romans 12.1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That means, I think, that everything you do with your body is to be done as an act of worship to God whether you eat or drink or hammer nails or play the piano or drive a car or make a meal or program a computer or read a book or shoot a basketball or mend a shirt or do your homework, whatever you do with your body, do to the glory of God. Then it is your spiritual service of worship. One way in which we function as spiritual priests is by offering the sacrifice of praise to God which is what worship is. Worship is not entertainment. Worship is when the people of God lift up their praises, adoration, and affections to God. Just as the priests lifted up the blood offering in the Old Testament, we lift up our reverence and adoration to God in praise. We do not come to church to watch others do it. We are all to do it. If we were to offer our sacrifices to God on the basis of, of our own merit. God's response to our sacrifices would be the same as it was to Israel when Israel had violated the terms of its covenant. At that time, God said that He hated their feasts. In Isaiah one thirteen, we read, "...bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations... I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. There you go. Incense or essential oils are an abomination to God, right? Amen? Oh, I could go stories there. know, <laughs> trying to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God on our own merit is just as repugnant to Him as those sacrifices were in Isaiah What makes them precious to God and a sweet aroma to Him is that they are offered, as we see in verse 5 of our text, through Jesus Christ. Our sacrifice of praise, our spiritual sacrifice, is carried to the Father through our great high priest, who sanctifies our worship. Apart from Christ, our worship would not be acceptable to God. It is Jesus who makes our worship acceptable and pleasing to Him. So if you find yourself hesitant to sing loudly because your singing voice is less like Adele and more like Oscar the Grouch, Jesus redeems it and sanctifies it. Now He may sanctify some voices more than others, but still He does it. It is Jesus who makes our worship acceptable And pleasing to Him. It's not you. It's all Jesus. The fact that God dwells in us by His Spirit means that worship is no longer limited to a central sanctuary. Do you get the magnitude of this truth? As we gather together here on a Sunday morning as the local church, God is here with us. We don't have to conjure up His presence. We don't have to beg God to show up. We don't have to travel to some shrine. He is with us when we gather because He is in us. We are living stones. This spiritual sacrifice might also include singing or speaking words of praise, as in Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Through Him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of whips that acknowledge His name. So the spiritual sacrifices, are the praises and thanks that we offer to God and to His people, alone and in corporate worship. Or it might include acts of love, like giving and sharing. For example, in Philippians 4.18, Paul receives gifts of support from the Philippian church and says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. A fragrant offering, so that's probably coffee, I would assume. And in Hebrews 13.16 it says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What then are spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ? They are the deeds you do, the words you speak, the songs you sing when you do them spiritually. That is, when you do them in reliance on the power of the Spirit, according to the will of the Spirit, and for the glory of God. In closing, let me say this. So, like the fact that by His great mercy, God caused us to be born again, that He commands us to desire, and it is He who gives us the the desire to be in His Word, we, because of Jesus, are living stones. We come together as the church. We love one another. We worship and grow up in our salvation, being built up as a spiritual house. We give spiritual sacrifices through Christ. That's what makes them acceptable, is that they are through Christ. We can think that our salvation, or another person's lack thereof, is because of the life that we live, is because of works. That's not what Scripture says, thankfully. Thankfully. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. To God alone be the glory. We run to his word, if indeed we have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed we have tasted the good news of the gospel. And if we are believers, then we are living stones. Therefore, we are a part of his church So we make gathering together a a high priority, not because we have this this list of rules to follow, but because we need this time to come together for the encouragement of our souls and that we might be an encouragement to others. We come because we need to be reminded of the gospel. The gospel is called the good news. Because it addresses the most serious problem that you and I have as human beings. And that problem is simply this. God is holy. He is just. And I am not. And at the, end of the, at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before a just and holy God and I will be judged. And I'll be judged either on the basis of my own righteousness or lack of it. Or the righteousness of another. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness, of perfect obedience to God, not for his own well-being, but for his people. He has done for me what I, what I couldn't possibly do for myself. But not only has he lived that life of perfect obedience, he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice and the righteousness of God. The Bible makes it clear that we are justified not by our works, not by our efforts, not by our deeds, but by faith. By faith alone. The only way we can receive the benefits of Christ's life and death is by putting your trust in Him and in Him alone. You do that and you're declared just by God. You're adopted into His family. You're forgiven of all your sins and you have begun your pilgrimage for eternity. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for this time. I need this time. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for salvation. Lord Jesus, you are our cornerstone. We thank you. You are our great God. We give you praise and glory. I pray for any who is hearing my voice who has not yet been born again from above. That the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword and is living and active will penetrate into the hearts of those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. That they might live And taste and see that you are true and that you are good. Father, we confess that we can let our own pride, our own sin damage your church. Forgive us. Help us to love one another as you call us to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.